thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to, to look at it. We ask you to guide and lead us as we, we study and that you will show us what you would like us to see tonight. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 28, starting at verse 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys, of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord, a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of, of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden underfoot, and the glorious beauty which is the, on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower, and as the hasty fruit there before the summer, which when he that looks upon it sees, while it is yet in his hand, he eats it up. <laughs> we have a very poetic discussion here to look at. Uh, Woe to the crown of pride. And this is, he's going, basically, there's troubles. You know, it's last, you know, look out. The crown of pride. You know, people, and I really believe that this is talking about the flesh. What happens in the flesh. You know, we take, people in general take pride in what they do. And we're going to see this in contrast as we go further in about what God is going to do. And we're told that the flesh cannot stand before God. Nothing that is done in our flesh is going to stand before God. And this is what it's saying. The crown of pride. Yeah, and this is something many of us have to deal with. You know, the idea of pride. You know, God, look what, look what I've accomplished. Oh, it wasn't me. It was you, wasn't it, God? <laughs> uh, and God likes to put us in our place when we start getting proud. Pride goes before the fall. And to the drunkards of Ephraim. Now, this is kind of an interesting, interesting thing. Ephraim is one of the tribes of Israel. And, he's, you know, and the whole idea of being drunk. And he says, whose glorious beauty is as a fading flower. He says, you've got, you know, and kind of he's saying, you have something to be proud of in the flesh, but you're just like the flower. And if you pick a flower... You know, and it's very pretty, and you put it on a jar, in a jar, even with water in your, in your house, and you've, you know, it'll, it'll fade away. Even if you don't pick it, and especially here in Arizona with all the heat, it doesn't take long for it to fade, <laughs> fade away. So either whether you talk about a picked flower that dies very quickly, or even a flower that is only out there for a period of time, they fade. And he says... Your pride is going to fade away. You know, you're like the, the flower that fades away you know, that are on the, on the hills, in the prominent places on the hills. And you know, we were talking just last night you know, you know, it, it, during the music, you know, how, how green our area is for us because we've had a little bit, bit of rain. But it won't take long before all these flowers and everything are gone. You know, back, back to brown. Some are brown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but God is saying, you know, all you that are out there in your pride, he says, you're, and then he goes, you're overcome with wine. Yeah, and this is, pride can be very intoxicating in and of itself. And, uh, and I'm not sure if he's using wine figuratively here to talk about the pride that is going to be, be pulled away or if he's literally talking about being drunken because he does talk about Hebrew <laughs> drunkards. Uh, but, you know, sin has an intoxicating uh, power to it in and of itself. Not just being physically drunk, but, you know, you get drunk on power. You get drunk on your, your ability to get things done. So there's all these things. And then he says, Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong, the mighty, hath a mighty and strong one, as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to earth with the hand. So he says, basically, it's, it's going back to what uh, Solomon said in the Proverbs. Pride goes before the fall. And God says, you want to be proud? You want to be arrogant? Let me throw a few problems your way and see how long you last. Most of us have been there at some point where we thought we were something and God has shown us, uh, you're not all that. 
It's all about him, and we need to keep that in mind because God is the one that is strong. And verse 3 is a repeat of verse 1, <laughs> at least at the start. The crown of the pride and the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden down underfoot. So God is reiterating this, and when God repeats something, we want to pay attention to it. He says, I am going to trod them underfoot. And he goes, and the glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower, as the hasty fruit or the first fruits uh, in here in the summer. Uh, and people look at that very first fruit that grows. If you've grown a garden or, or a farm, you look at that first fruit, you know, that's ready, you know, it's like, all right, something is finally being produced. And usually that is the best one that comes off the, off the, off the vine is that first, that first crop. And that was what God told the children of Israel was his. It says, when you fir the first fruits of the harvest belong to me, which was really taking faith because you're going to give God the best and the first of what you have and hope that something doesn't come along to destroy the future crops. You know, what you waited for, what, you, what you've done. And God says, I want the first. Are you going to trust me? And this was tough because that first, that first fruit is the good one. It's the really delicious one. It's the one you've been waiting for for a long time. I don't know if it's any more delicious than the other ones, you know, but they think, you know, or, or if it's just a perception because it's the first one, but God says it's mine. All right, farmer, you get to get the second, third, fourth harvest, but I get the first one, and that's what he's saying here. The, they see that beautiful fruit, they harvest it, and before they know it, it's gone. Um, and you know, that, that first tomato on the tomato plant, the first <laughs> ear of corn, you, you know, barely let it get to big enough to use in many cases, and you're, and you're going, I gotta get, I gotta get it, it's by, I've been tending this all summer long, all, all spring long, and finally there's something on it to eat. And this is what he's bringing out, the, you know, that when he looks at it and sees it, takes it in his hand, and before he even knows what he's doing, he's eating it. And this is what sin does to us. We get something, we think we've got a fruit, and it's consumed sometimes so fast that we don't even know what it is we've consumed, and then we pay the consequences for it <laughs> without having even thought about what was being done. All right, verse 5. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for the diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people, and for a spirit of judgment to him that sits in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink, and out of the way, or out of the way, the priest and the prophet has erred through strong drink, and they have swallowed up the wine, and they are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision, they stumble in judgment. For all the tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, and here there a little, uh, and here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear him. But the word of the Lord was upon them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. All right. So he starts out saying that, <laughs> talking about God. Verse 5. For the day shall, in that day shall the Lord of the host be the crown and glory and a diadem of beauty until the Residue of his people, it says, the remnant. God is their glory. And this is the most important thing for us. Is God the one we glory in? Are, is God the one we rest in? And it's kind of interesting that we oftentimes will start resting in God, but it doesn't take long to, to forget God if we're not careful. 
And we've seen this in many leaders in the churches and everything. They start being very humble. God builds them up. He builds a church. And then they start thinking, look what I've done. <laughs> or they get a kind of an idolatrous thing, you know, you know, God, I've got to keep this thing running. God, you started it, but I've got to keep it, I've got to keep it moving forward. And if it wasn't for me doing this, God, you know, and God, I know you started it, but I've got to keep it going. And this is a dangerous place to get to, uh, where all of a sudden we think somehow God needs us. <laughs> and been there, done that, where somehow I've gotten where I go, okay, God, you, know, you need me to help out. And God has very clearly shown me those times, uh, uh, no, I don't really need you. And things will happen, and things will fall apart, and then God will pull them back together. But it says, he is the crown of glory, the diadem of beauty. Because he is not going to let man take credit for anything. And this is what we're told, you know, our heart is full of deception, it's full of wickedness, uh, our, all our righteousness is filthy rags, all of this is snared up in this, uh, these verses. He goes, you don't have anything for me. He goes, I am the beauty, I am the one that's going to get the praise. And the way I've shared this over and over is when we stand before Jesus, we're going to be rewarded for what we let him do in us. Those are where our rewards come in. I'm not going to be able to stand, you know what, God, you know, just look at all the stuff I did for you. <laughs> you know, and he's going to go, uh, no. <laughs> you didn't do anything that's going to stand. Uh, you might have done some wonderful things. You know, everybody respected you. You were the great teacher, the great singer, the, the, the best servant, and you did it in your flesh. And God says, okay, well, you got your reward. Everybody, everybody praised you and uh, so you got your rewards. You got the wood. It's going to burn up. It was good. People got, you know, people, it was useful. But it's going to burn up. And what we want is the things that Jesus has done in our life. And it says he is going to be the crown of glory, the diadem. And it says he's looking for the spirit of judgment on him that sits in judgment and for the strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. He's our strength. He's our, he's our judgment. And this is the wonderful thing. When we stop and just let God lead. Yeah. And this is what I keep saying over and over again. Living Christianity is really easy when we surrender. God, you're my, you're my beauty. You're my strength. You're my judgment. You're my <laughs> All I'm going to do is sit back and let you do the work, God. And watch him do everything for us. Because when we don't do that, we enter into verse 7. <laughs> But they also have erred, and this means go astray through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. And this word for out of the way literally means to be intoxicated and wandering. Okay? And again, not just, I don't believe this is talking just about alcohol in this. I really believe it's all sins that intoxicate and pull us out of God's plan. All the, all the sins of pride, all the sins of you know, arrogance and everything that go out there, he's saying they have erred and they're walking around like drunken people not following God. Jesus said, narrow is the great gate and straight is the path that leads to the Father and few that find it and the world walks the crooked path and staggers all over the place and he says, you know, They've, they've erred. And then if that wasn't enough, the priest and the prophets have erred <laughs> doing the same thing. And they are swallowed up with the wine and they are out of the way. And they err in vision and they stumble in judgment. Again, this whole idea, this whole thing is about stumbling and wobbling and tottering because they're drunk within whatever sin that they're dealing with. And for the priests and stuff and the prophets, it's the same one that pastors have the problem with, you know, that, that pride, the arrogance, you know, God has used me for something. And that is when we're probably at our most dangerous places when God uses us. Because it is so easy to step into pride. 
you know, go out to some special event. You go to a, to a men's retreat or a women's retreat and you get all excited and pumped up and then you come back down to the real world and get smacked upside the head <laughs> with the problems of life. I was like, God, I've just had a wonderful experience with you. Why did I have to go through this? And God's saying, I'm your, I'm your glory. I'm your pride. Yeah, I'm your, your beauty. Quit looking at emotions. And this is something that is, needs to be looked at. I've talked to so many people, and they all want to base their decisions on the emotions. How do I feel? How do I feel about this? You know, when it comes to God's word and God... It really doesn't matter how we feel. You know, it's wonderful to feel good. You know, it's wonderful to be on a mountaintop with God. But you know, the reality of it is, are we holding on to the truth when the trials hit? Uh, and this is what I say all the time. You know, when I go through hard times or what will appear to be hard times, I just grab hold of the word and say, God, you promised that all things work together for good. And God, you're still in control. Don't understand it, don't, don't see it, but I'm going to hold on to what the Word says. And if we base our whole life on what God says in the Word, things are going to be a lot more peaceful, a lot better for us. If we're based on emotions, yeah, I know I'm in trouble if I base my life on emotions. Well, I, this is going to be a miserable day because I feel bad. Oh, God, you must have been lost control today because I just feel miserable. And God, I'm not supposed to feel miserable. Oh, God, it's going to be a wonderful day. I woke up really good. The sun's shining. It's warm. The birds are chirping. And, you know, I guess birds don't chirp. Yeah, they do. Right? You know, uh, you know, and oh, what a wonderful day this is going to be. And it's a miserable way to live. I've met lots of people that live that way. The way they feel totally drags, drags their day down or up. Which I can guarantee if that's the way you want to live, Satan will make sure you have some rough spots to have to get through and ruin your day. So we put ourselves and say, God, what does your word say? Am I going to depend on what you say? And this is why I keep saying, you know, when apparent bad things happen to us, when it looks like thing, bad things are happening to us, God, you know, we, we like to kind of get upset and God says, you know, I've got a plan. I, I'm still in control. It's all going to work out for good. And if we just come to that conclusion, okay, God, don't understand this. It doesn't look good, but you're still in control. I'm going to hold on to your word, which is why it's so important to know God's word. And there's been times when somebody will say, well, the Bible says such and such, and I'll go, where? <laughs> where does it say? Well, I know it says it someplace. I'm going, well, I don't remember ever reading that, <laughs> what you just said. So, you know, when you find it, let me know, because I don't remember where it's at. Uh, and I'm not going to say that I know every single word in the Bible, but <laughs> I've studied it enough that I usually know whether, it, whether God says it, it's real or not. And there's all kinds of things out there, especially here in America. We've got all kinds of things that we think are in the Bible. You know, people will say, you know, the love of money, uh, money is the root of all, all evil, and it's really the love of money. Uh, you know, we'll hear the statement, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. And it sounds like it should be in the Bible. Not there. Uh, you know, and we hear all these different things that people go, well, I know it's in the Bible somewhere. They help themselves. Yeah. Uh, which is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Uh, you know, God says, surrender to me and be weak and I'll take care of you. And not, you know, but we look at these things and say, what does God want us to do? And he wants us to be humble. He wants us to be trusted. He wants us to hide in him. And uh, this next, <laughs> this whole section is so interesting. Verse 8, for the tables are full of vomit and filthiness. There is no clean place. Yeah, which goes to the idea of drunkenness. Because <laughs> uh, I've you know, never had that experience, but I've heard all kinds of people tell me about waking up and wondering where they're at and why they stink and why everything around them is stinking. And this is that picture. They use vomit a lot in the Bible. It's I've been there a few yeah. times. Well, I hear, well, when I've been reading it, there's a lot of times I could have Well, because it's a strong word that yeah. really talks about it. And when he's talking about sin, he really wants people to understand how evil uh -huh. sin is and how unclean it is. 
Because we have this habit of looking at sin and saying, well, you know, it's not too bad. Uh, and I've heard lots of people, you know, it really wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing. I, I told just a little lie. It wasn't the big whopper lie that I used to tell people, but, you know, it was just a little, little you know, I really didn't drink that much. Uh, well, I was just surprised that they used that word. I mean, because I didn't think he would use that word. <laughs> really, I said, wow. Well, there's stronger, stronger words than that in th- all through well, scripture, so... <laughs> and in most cases, they use the word the right way, so it's well, kind of yeah, hard to. I mean, you know, but it's just like, wow, I just didn't think it would be. <laughs> but God touches on just about everything there is to touch on, so when He's going yes, through the word, yes. you know, there are some strong words in there sometimes because He wants to make the point of this is how bad it is. That's why I think it sounds like it could be today. Mm-hmm. People say this book's old. No, 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 no. It could be right now. Yeah, well, most of the ones that say it's too old and out of date have never read the Bible yeah. or understood it, which we're looking here. This, this chapter actually talks about why people can't understand the Bible. Uh, they're drunk. <laughs> they're drunk, yeah. Uh, but it really is here talking about how awful sin is. And we need to be able to understand and have the same opinion about sin that God has about sin. And this is really important. You know, we're told in Jeremiah that our innermost part of our heart is deceptively wicked and we can't even know it. And the closer we get to God, the more we begin to know the deceptiveness of our heart. And even then, God will show us another couple years down the road that we weren't even at the beginning of understanding how deceptively wicked we are. You know, we start out in our life and we work on getting things out of our life and we're, we get the big things. Okay, God, I'm no longer drinking every, every weekend. I'm not using the drugs anymore. I've got my whole life put together. And God says, okay, let me, let me show you the next part that I want you to work on. Oh, wow, God, you, know, you want me to deal with that? And okay, God, let's get it. Let's start working on it. We get rid of that and we go, okay, God, we got it all put together. And God says, well, let me shine a little brighter light, a little deeper down. And we go, ugh. You know, Paul at the end of his life said that he was the chiefest of sinners. And a lot of people will say, well, well, he was looking back. No, I really think at the end of his life, he was seeing his heart the way God sees it. And he was really beginning to understand, man, I've worked so much out of this, but God, how could I be so wicked? Because that's how I feel. The more I walk with God, the more I clean out of my life, the more he shines that light in. It's like, God, is there any end? Is there any end to how wicked it is? And the answer is no. Not until I die and he glorifies me and removes all that, that heart. Now, yes, it gets better and better as we go along. And yes, from a human standpoint, we get better. But from God's standpoint, he says, let me just keep showing you where you're at. And that helps to keep us humble because we keep looking down in our heart and say, oh, man, what a, you know, God, can we, can we get rid of that? <laughs> can we just get rid of that whole heart? Give me, give me a whole brand new heart, God. And this is where he's looking at. There's just nothing but filthiness because of the sin and the intoxication of sin. And then in verse 9, he goes, whom sh- shall he teach knowledge? <laughs> okay. And this is Isaiah talking. It goes, Who, who's, who's God going to teach? Who shall he make to understand doctrine, discern doctrine? And he says, those that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breast. And this is, goes, takes us back to what Peter said, you know, that we're to leave the milk of the word and move on into food. And, you know, and I've said it so many times, you know, it's sad to me as I look at Christians who, they don't even want the milk of the word they want the milk watered down to, with more water than milk. Uh, and they're basically saying, I want to be fed the rest of my life and don't want to go in and learn. You know, my goal for everybody that I teach is to watch them learn to be able to feed themselves and not feed themselves milk, but to feed themselves as, you know, let's get you started on the cereal. 
You know, when you're raising a child, you give them the milk, you give them the milk, and eventually you want them to eat cereal and fruits and vegetables. And hopefully they get to the place where they're eating meat and potatoes. <laughs> you know, uh, and I've said this before, you know, if you end up with a, a child who's 30 years old, still, still drinking from a bottle and needing a diaper, you've got a problem, okay? Uh, and yet we've got Christians out there that have been walking supposedly with God for 20, 30 years that are still drinking, drinking from the bottle and, and needing a diaper and can't stand on their own, can't walk with God, and saying, yeah, I've been a Christian for a long time. Grow up. <laughs> yeah. When are you going to get to the place where you're helping to feed others? When are you going to get to at least feed yourself? <laughs> you know, uh, and this is what God's saying, you know, who is going to, those that have been weaned, those who are now on solid food. And, and this is where he goes, he says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And this is literally talking about the way God teaches us. His commandments and his ordinances, one upon another, over and over again. Learning to do line upon line. How do we, you know, when we teach our writing, we teach people, you start a line, then you come back, you start another line, you come back, you start another line, little by little. And this is something I keep bringing home to people. You know, we cannot expect as a follower of God to all of a sudden be superstar in high school when we just start reading the Bible. Yeah, there are exceptions, there are people who are just smart, but even they need time to truly learn how to apply. And it's one thing to know what it says, and it's another thing to apply it to life. I have met lots of people who are very smart on the Word of God. They know what it says. And then you watch and they do stupid things. You know, they know that they're not supposed to lie, and the next thing you know, you're catching them lying to keep out of trouble because they're following their human nature and not what God says. You know, and we look at this and say, line upon line, little by little, and God eventually starts teaching us. And we have the responsibility to do the line upon line. We're to get into his word, learn the precepts, and he's just going to keep doing it. And we've talked about this. God repeats himself all through the Bible. Why? Because he knows that we're thick-headed. <laughs> he knows that we're so thick-headed that we need to be told a hundred times before we finally remember. You know, and I, re I remember my parents saying, how many times do I have to tell you? Now, my brother was a smart aleck. He goes, about a hundred. <laughs> you know, uh, I go, and I, you know, I bit my tongue. I didn't say it. I thought it. <laughs> and go, well, you haven't told me enough times, obviously. <laughs> uh, but you know, God keeps repeating because he knows that we struggle with remembering. And line upon line, you know, little by little, and eventually God gets it through our head. And he just keeps pouring it on, pouring it on, pouring it on, repeating. And his patience just is amazing to me. The patience of God to keep repeating himself so many times in the scriptures. And how slow we are to hear. <laughs> how slow we are to understand. And God just keeps working with it. And verse 11 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to his people. And this is the idea that he keeps repeating, he keeps pouring in. And this idea of another tongue literally means a foreign tongue. When God speaks to us, it is just like hearing a strange language. And I've heard it so many times, people say, well, before I got saved, I couldn't make anything out of the Bible. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. And then eventually they get to the place where, and then I got saved and the Holy Spirit started, you know, they may not know it's the Holy Spirit even, but all of a sudden it started making sense. And the more we study it, the more sense it makes because we get used to 
God's language, God's words. And this is what's important for us. You know, we go in and we go, God, it is wonderful. I love getting into God's word and saying, wow, what a wonderful thing. Because it's a different way of thinking. God does not think like we do as humans, and we don't think like God does, at least not at first, and then we will spend our entire life learning to begin to think like God. And even when we die, maybe with human standards, we've made lots of progress, but we're going to get to heaven and go, wow, God, I still don't know anything. I still don't really think like you do. And I believe that we will never think like God does because he is always going to be greater than us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. And here it says, you know, he's speaking in a different tongue. We can't even fully understand and comprehend God even after decades of walking with him, even though we do better. We learn to be closer to him. We learn to understand him but it's always going to seem strange. You know, always going to seem strange. God, you want me to do what? No way. Can't do that, God. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to be nice to that person? All they've ever done has been mean to me. And you want me to be nice to them? Uh, you, know, oh, oh, you don't even want me to be nice. You want me to really like them? You know, you know and we're like, oh, no, God. Uh, God you, you want me to love them? Yeah. And... God keeps raising the bar on us <laughs> and saying, I've got a deeper plan than you'll ever understand. And this is so important for us. He goes, you know, to whom has he said, this is the rest wherewith you are caused to weary the rest. And this is the refreshing that they would not hear. You know, God wants us to rest. This is so important for us. God wants us to learn to rest in him okay all the book of psalms is all about that hide in me take refuge in me put the new testament is put on jesus christ you know be clothed in christ and yet over and over i hear it even from pastors strive to do better strive to do good well, i have an answer for you rest <laughs> just let god do it you know, and it is so peaceful when you let God do it. Jesus did the work. He finished the work. And all we have to do is hide in him. And that doesn't mean we get lazy and do absolutely nothing, but we just rest in him and say, God, what is it you want me to do? And we step out and do what he wants us to do, clothed in Christ, listening to his still small voice, and be at rest. Because I don't get anything accomplished when I'm striving. When I'm trying to do it myself, I never get anything accomplished. All I do is spin my wheels and get tired and, and then rest, and God says, oh, oh, oh you're resting, okay. Let, let's, let's make it happen now. We will drive ourselves crazy trying to strive to do God's work, always. How do we witness to somebody? We can study how to witness. We can talk about how to witness. But you know, the only way to really do it is let God do it. Yeah, I have gone out and I've talked to people over and over again and end up listening to myself talk a lot of times. Because it's not me talking anymore. It's God using my voice to talk. It's pretty amazing sometimes when I listen to what God does. Yeah, and we want to just let and say, God, I want to rest. Faith, rest. The book of Hebrews talks about rest. You know, we're, we're in the Old Testament, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years seeking the rest. You know, many Christians live in the wandering time. Let me just wander while I disobey God and he punishes me and makes me wander for another, another year, two years, three years, four years, five decades, six decades. And many times Christians never get to the place where they rest. They're so busy striving, they're so busy trying to live the godly life. And because it's a godly life, we can't do it until we just rest and let Jesus be our guide. And this is so important for us. What is our whole life about? Being sanctified and learning to be like God. 
And the only way that happens is that he crucifies our flesh and he puts more of himself in us and we become more like him as he crucifies our flesh and we start just resting. And there is great power in resting. We look up and say, wow, God, look what, look what you're doing. Look what you're doing in our church. Look what you're doing in my life. Look what you're doing in our family. Look what you're doing in our country, which right now isn't happening because we're so far away from him. But, you know, look what God does when we rest. And it's so important to just rest. And he says, you know, yet they would not hear. And then on the negative side of this, they don't hear line upon line, <laughs> precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there, there a little, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. God holds us accountable for what we know. And he's going to hold the world accountable for what they know. Now, for us as Christians, that can be scary. When we go to church often enough and we hear a lot of things, there's a lot that we're accountable for. The world hears just enough to be accountable. And, you know, God is going to judge the world. He says nobody is without excuse when they stand before God. If they don't know God's laws, he'll judge them by their own law. You know, we've all in our sin violated even things we said we would never do. Now, we can't even keep our own rules, much less God's rules. And God says, you know, I'm going to give you enough of my rules that you're going to be held accountable. But even if you don't want to be judged by my rules, I'll judge you by your own rules. And that Paul brings that out in several places in, in his epistles. God will judge us by our rules. Okay? You don't, you, don't think you, know, you don't think you know God's rules and you thought you'd do God's rules? Well, let's, let's judge you by your own rules. And man can't even obey his own rules. You know, an individual can't even live life the way he, says, he or she says they're going to live. You know, God, I would never do such and such a thing or I would never do such a, th such a thing and within weeks or days they're usually doing just what they said they're not going to do. Yeah, I try not to make those statements. <laughs> it's better not to make those statements. Because we're going to fail. We're going to fail. We're going to fail our own rules. We're going to fail society's rules. And even when society is allowing awful things, they still have rules. Yeah, they have their rules as well. There's certain places you're not supposed to cross, and yet we cross those all the time. And God's going to say, didn't keep my rules. Didn't keep society's rules. You didn't even keep your own rules. And you think you're good enough to enter into heaven? You, know, you haven't followed anybody's rules. You know, you're, and when God puts us before him, for us as Christians, we'll say, thank you, Jesus, for your blood, because that's the only way I'm making it in. And then we go to the Bema seat, and God says, okay, how much, did you let, how much of me did you let come out of you? And rewards us for what it comes out of us that he did. And... You know, the people standing at the white throne judgment are going to be shown all the wrong they did. And then they're going to be shown that not even their righteousness doesn't hold up because it's usually motivated out of pride. I did good things because I wanted people to notice me. I wanted this. I wanted that. Very few times that people outside of God do good things just for the sake of doing good things. Because that's what Jesus says. We're to love our enemies. That's a hard thing to do. And you're not going to do that in the flesh. You know, no way. Uh-uh. That, that person deserves to be punished, and I want to see them be punished. We need to be careful as Christians on that. You know, I want to see people come to Christ. I don't want to see people get hurt. Even if they deserve it, I don't want to see them... You know, I leave that between them and God and, and God to follow because I've said this over and over again. We stand or fall before God. And I was talking with somebody today at the, at the prison and he was so judgmental about all the different churches and stuff. He's new to the area and he's being very judgmental about what he sees. You know, I'm going, you know, our job isn't to judge them. You know, and of course, he pulled out a couple scriptures. He was very knowledgeable in the word. He knew, he knew how to, to make this. I'm going, no, you don't understand. They stand or fall before God. 
You need to be very careful with this. And we need to be very careful when we look at others. Our job is to love other people. And if we get a good relationship with them, we might be able to say, you know, I'm concerned about this and I've been praying for this. You know, and I'm, I'm seeing it in your life. But even then it has to be very loving and gentle without the condemnation that judging brings. And God is saying, do we love one another? Am, am I really brokenhearted enough that I'm trying to help the person? Or am I just trying to make myself look good at, at their expense? Now, you're, you're terrible. Look at, look at all these things. And I'm feeling good, you know. By comparison, I'm doing pretty good, at least in that area. Uh, let's not look at the other areas where I'm not doing as good as you. But, you know, when we look at one another, we need to be able to come to the conclusion, this person is God's child. If we really started seeing each other as God's children, God's family, it would change the way we deal with one another in many ways. You know, uh, God is not wanting us to criticize one another. He's not looking at us to make others. You know, and in a good family, nobody ever wants to hear somebody attack another member of the family. It usually will bring up ire, especially if you're talking about your spouse. <laughs> You know, uh, and, you're, and Jesus has people all over criticizing his spouse. And I think about that at times. I'm going, how angry must that make him sometimes when people are attacking his bride <laughs> from inside his bride? <laughs> you know, bad enough that the world would do it, but that other Christians would attack one another and tear each other down when we're clothed in Christ Jesus and we're supposed to love one another you know, and build one another up and be family, we need to be so careful of this. You know, David over and over said, I won't touch Saul. Saul's God's anointed. He wouldn't touch Saul. And yet we've got people that will attack God's anointed bride and feel free to do so. We need to be very careful about how we look at others, how we treat others, and start asking God to God, show me how to treat that individual as one of your children. You know, now, what God does, he's a lot higher up there. He's, he can do what he wants. He's perfect. You know, but he tells us as fellow believers, love one another. Build one another up. You know, he tells the government to be punishing, punishing evildoers, but he doesn't tell us as individuals to punish one another. That's not our job. We're not a bunch of vigilantes running around trying to clean up, clean up the church. At least we're not supposed to be. We're just fellow believers that just love one another. You know, find something good to say about something and just build them up. If there's only one thing you can say, say it. <laughs> say it all the time. <laughs> you know, but you know, we need to be very careful. And when we're talking about, you know, to other people, you know, make sure we're talking to the person that needs to hear it, not, not others. And here's what God is saying. For us as Christians, we learn little by little by little. When he, they stand before him to be judged, they're going to be judged on the little by little by little that they heard. And he says, yeah, I told you, I told you, I told you. And, you know, we need to be where we can hear. We need to be feeding, ourse you know, feeding ourselves and learning and having it repeated a hundred times before we finally remember it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, God, you, you, you really wanted me to pay attention to that verse? Never saw that verse before. That's something that surprises me. God, I don't remember ever seeing that verse in that light, in that way. Okay, God, obviously I'm supposed to be learning from it. And that's what when it comes down to, am I humble enough to just say, okay, God, what are you wanting me to learn? Job had to learn, th learn things the hard way, you know, to get out of the prosperity gospel. Paul had to learn the hard way to get out of legalism into grace. But you know, sometimes when we learn things the hard way, they make a deeper impression. Paul was one of the, in, ended up being one of the most grace-oriented teachers in the Bible. You know, we see the forgiveness of Job as he breaks away and he starts realizing Oh, it's not all about prosperity. You know, it's not all about honoring God and getting blessed. 
I'm sure even though he was kind to people and helped them, in the back of his mind was, well, wonder, wonder what they've been doing. Just like his disciples came back at him. Oh, Job, you must be an awful, terrible person. Look how far you've fallen. We need to be careful about judging one another. Sometimes that fall is just because we started at a high place and fell. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, it's one thing to fall off here on, onto the floor. Another thing to fall off the bike. Another thing to be really trying big things and fall off the cliff. You know, and so the more we're trying to do and accomplish for God, the more risk we're going to take. And there's a greater risk the higher up we go. And when you're leading, leading groups, Satan doesn't want you leading a group into righteousness. And we've seen it, and everybody that's here in this church has told me the same thing. I start getting, and all of a sudden I get attacked. I just don't understand it. Well, I understand it. That's, you know, God, is, when you're sitting on your butt, Satan doesn't care. You know, he's lost you, you're going to heaven, he, you know, he's not much he can do. If all you're doing is going to the pew and, and sitting down and listening to a sermon and never open your mouth, he's like not happy, but not going to bother you. You start deciding, okay, God, I'm going to start tithing. And all of a sudden he said, oh, I don't want that, don't want that happening and all kinds of financial things. God, I want to start telling people about Jesus. Oh my goodness, what a, what a hard time that'll be when you first start. God, you, you know, I want to do this. And immediately things happen. And it's all coming down with Satan saying, I'm going to try to stop it. And that's why every time this church moves forward in some area, I go, okay, God, I'm praying for our church because Satan is not going to like this church moving forward in that area. Whatever it might be, whether it's me starting into members or whatever, you look at it and say, okay, God, what is Satan going to do to try to stop us from moving? He does it to churches. He does it to families. He does it to individuals. You start moving out for God, and Satan tries to stop. Throw stumbling blocks in front of you, trials, tribulations. You know, sometimes it's even people. Sometimes it's even Christians <laughs> that he throws at you to, well, you know, you really don't have to do that. You know, you don't, you know, I know it says that in the Bible, but you know, that's, that's for the really spiritual. You, you don't have to really worry about that. You know, and sometimes Christians can be the worst ones in our path because they don't want to be challenged, so they try to draw others down. And the more a church moves, the more people start getting uncomfortable. Those who know God see the church moving, and they're going, you know, God, I thought I had this all settled. Now you're, now you're challenging me again. <laughs> and they have to make a decision. Am I, am I going to turn my life over to God? Or am I just going to sit back and pretend? Pretend some more. And God does not let us pretend. And it's been said over and over, and I truly agree with this. If you're not moving forward with God, you're going backwards. Plain and simple. Even in the business world, I would move my, move my uh, stores more and more. And I had one person go, well, you know, they got their review and they got a bad review. They go, well, I'm doing the same thing I did last year. And I'm going, yeah, but our standard's a lot higher now. What you did last year was okay. It's no longer okay. You're not moving with our standards. And for churches and Christians, we move up the standards with God. And if we're staying still, we're we're losing, we're losing direction because God is saying, uh, I'm, not, I'm not over there anymore. I'm way over here. You've lost a lot of, lot of momentum. Get, get in with me. Or as Blackaby says, look around and see what God's doing and join him. Go find out what God's doing and say, God, you're, you're doing that. I'm coming. I'm coming. Too many times we will look at God and say, God, I want to do this. Come on over here. And God says, no, I'm over here. God does not bend to our will. Uh, he has never hired any of us as Christians to be his counselor and his advisor. God, I really think you should be doing this. And God uh, probably wouldn't even say anything, but if he was, he's going, well, I didn't, I didn't hire you to be my advisor. You know, I'm the Lord, you're the, you're the servant, you do what I tell you. You know, and you think about the audacity that we have sometimes to be able to go say, God, you really should be doing this. 
Yeah. Uh, boss, I really think the company should be doing, I know you've invested your money in this, but I think we should be over here doing this. Now, if you're high enough in the company, that's one thing, but if you're the, the, the lave operator and you're telling them how to run his business, you're not going to get very far. You know, how many of us keep trying to tell God, God, I think you really should be doing this. You know, sometimes we do it in prayer. God, uh, I think we, uh, this is what I'd like to see done, and I think this is how you should happen, you know, how it should happen. Yeah, I think God might smile and maybe even chuckle a little bit, you know, to a degree, if it, you know, especially for a new Christian. God, I really need an, a new car, and you know, God, I really want it to be. <laughs> and God's saying, well, I think you just need a car that works. <laughs> You know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't need the cherry red Viper. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you know, whatever car, you know, put whatever car you like in there. But you know, you know, you, you, you don't need the twenty-five thousand dollar truck. <laughs> uh, and you know, and yet many times we'll tell God, you know, God, I really, you know, God, yeah, uh, this is what I want. This is, and that's usually what we're doing. We're saying, this is what I want. And sometimes God may say, this is what you get. Uh, you know, do I need that top-of-the-line cherry, cherry car? Does it, do I just need transportation? You know, and God says, well, I really know what you need. I'm, I'm expecting you to put thousands of miles a month on your car so you don't need that vehicle that only gets 10 miles per gallon. I think you need this older car that gets 30, 40 miles per gallon. And he does what's good for us. And, and if we go long enough, we go, you know what? This was the best deal that God gave me. And uh, other times, you know, but it's all learning contentment, to, to just fit into God and walk with him. And we're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to guide and lead us through the rest of this week and all the activities that are going to be happening. Lord, teach us to learn to trust you in all things. Lord, teach us to rest in you faith rest where we just know that you're in control and we just sit back and say God you're in control show me what to do and learn to make you Lord of our life and listen to what you would have us to do and say and we just thank you in Jesus name Amen